Welcome to Five Books for Catholics, where an expert selects and explains five outstanding books in some aspect of Catholic life, doctrine or culture. Jane Austen is one of the finest and best-loved novelists in the English language. Catholics can learn a lot from her finely crafted character studies of Regency-era gentry. They are penetrating studies of the subtleties of commonplace virtue and vice. They are also informed by Austen's Christian faith. In an earlier episode, Dwight Lindley picked some books that can help the Catholic reader get the most out of Austen. In the second part of this interview, he discusses some more of these books. Dwight Lindley is the Barbara Longway Briggs Chair in English Literature at Hillsdale College. He has published essays and articles on Jane Austen, George Eliot, John Henry Newman, Jared Manley Hopkins, Virginia Woolf and others. He lives in southern Michigan with his wife Emily and their nine children. You gave some other books for an extended shortlist. Um, the first was when you just mentioned uh, Jane Austen's Anglicanism by Lauren Mooneyham White. Yes. <laughs> sure, just a bit about that. Um, it's really from that book that I fully realized what I already described a little bit, that Jane Austen's Anglicanism was pre-Victorian and pre-higher criticism, if you want. Um, higher criticism, as I was describing it, that sort of particularly German school of biblical criticism, which challenged the faith of so many. She was just before all of that, and uh, in, in, a, in a certain sense, a more um, innocent age. Innocent, not, not exactly morally innocent, but, you know, uh, without any terrific doubts um, of, the, of the epistemological uh, kind that, that uh, developed later. Okay, so she really builds, works to build that out because she, uh, Mooneyham White, uh, she sees that we tend to misunderstand Jane Austen by look by applying those later lenses to her and and uh we we uh this is this is just a kind of anglicanism that is long gone uh and so she tries to put us back in that world and what would she have been taken for granted taking for granted she uh that author goes through the kinds of sermons for example that that Jane Austen's father and brothers were reading and that they were that they were preaching because she had you know a clergyman father clergyman brother <clears throat> it was just a, a very clerical family a very churchy family so here what what all kinds of <clears throat> uh, what kind of preaching and 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 kind of moral instruction and religious imagination were, were in the air in that um upper middle class uh, Anglican world that she presumed. Um, and, and this book really fills that out. Uh, as, in addition to, you know, you know, the, the her understanding of uh, hierarchy within the church and um, and liturgy, the kinds of prayer, uh, there's an analysis of her prayers that some of which have been published and so forth. And perhaps her the fact that she came from a family of clerics gave her special insight into the foibles because <laughs> she satirizes foolish clerics such as Mr. Collins or <laughs> oh, snobbish gee. Mr. Elton and Emma, but she also has 
examples of virtuous clerics such as Edmund Bertram in Mansfield Park or Dr. Shirley in Persuasion. So she sees the both sides of the picture. Yes, I think that's right. Um, I mean, as Newman would say, there are things that we could that we could wish were present even in her best clerics, but but I think it's it's true that she has a sharp eye for the kinds of blind spots and moral failings that um, a clergyman could fall into, especially in a comfortable setting, you know, a comfortable pastoral setting where you have a living. And yeah, you gentrified have, setting. A gentrified setting, but yeah, where, where there are people present who are just taking care of you, you know, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> who I live in, a, I actually live in a small town of 8,000 people and we have one parish in this town and it's the only ta- parish in the entire county. Um, and and so our our priest is actually well taken care of in a certain sense because everybody loves and depends upon him <laughs> and um, and brings him food all the time. You know, I don't know. There's uh, there's all these things that not it, it's really not not to say that it's uh, really comparing apples to apples <laughs> with an 18th century benefice cleric. Um, but there but there are some analogies that that, you know, there are certain kinds of dangers, or whatever. Um, so, yes, yeah, she's very sensitive to that. And. You also recommended a memoir of Jane Austen and other family recollections mm-hmm. by G. Austen Lee, if I'm not mistaken, he was her nephew. What insights yes, can right. be gained from this book? Yes, well, this is um, so this is by her nephew, the, the son of her eldest brother. And what I what I like about this book and what I think is helpful about it is that it uh, it shows us how she was seen within her family. Um, this is a man who has kind of goes around and collects all the memories that he can find about her and weaves them all into his his uh, narrative of her and a description of her character. Um, and it's just the things that they cared about and admired are different than uh, than what we sometimes admire ourselves. And and I think that going back and and seeing something like this from the, from the period and from within her own family can actually give us a door into her own her own point of view, her own world. Um, and uh, can pull away some of the blinders we might have to that world. Um, for example, I've already mentioned some of these, so I don't want to rehash it all. But you can see that her family was very, uh, you know, very deep in Tory politics uh, and, and very much presumed it. She was not a particularly political person, but everyone around her uh, sort of had a sort of kind of traditionalist uh, mindset about about politics, culture, um, hierarchical order, both in the church and out of it. Um, um, you know, the, these kind of unquestionable strata of society, um, which are, are, are present and important um, and have the wisdom of the ages built into them, she would have said. Um, you can see all of that in the way that her nephew, her nephew narrates her, her life. Also, you, you see um, just the degree to which she, she Jane Austen, was 
defined by her family and her devotion to her family and her family relationships. You know, her letters were, were largely written inside of her family. And her family members were just the most important people in the world to her. Um, he, there's also a good description in this book of her religious, everyone always mentions, uh, the, there, there are a few different memoirs in this book that I mentioned. And each family member, they're all from family members, each of them mentions her faith and her piety, um, but they mention it as something uh, that was always present uh, without being heavy-handed and um, that it is always important, especially at the end of her life, but um, which she didn't, um, which really comes in at the margins, I guess. So, so we see all of that. So if you, earlier you mentioned, Don, that uh, Jane Austen is a type of Aristotle in Aristotelian novelist. Yeah. Uh, from this memoir, she seems also to be a sort of uh, Burkean by his Moses. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's true. I think that I think she was very Burkean in the the sense we get uh, from his book on the the French Revolution, where he, she had a she had a a kind of dyed in the wool appreciation for <clears throat> tradition and uh for the ways in which uh society and uh, the way the ways that sorry the ways in which society um presumed upon natural law and um uh these sort of um, received opinions of the ages which had carried wisdom um yeah that, that was definitely all very natural to her, I think, or second nature to her, let's say. And finally, there is uh, Jane Austen and her art, which was published in 1939 by Mary Lascelles. Mm. This book was is a classic in Austen scholarship and was considered groundbreaking at the time because of its detailed historical scholarship and literary criticism. Why have you chosen it? Does it stand the test of time? Oh yes, I think it's it's actually gotten better with time. Partially because I think I think some subsequent scholarship has gotten too highfalutin um, and too overcomplicated I, in a certain sense. Um, the, what I like about Lascelles is that she she just she appreciates the most basic things about Austin and looks into them with care and specificity, uh, especially her influences uh, and the, the, the way that she uses things as simple as syntax, diction, irony, um, and literary genres such as, you know, satire and, and, um, and wit and things like this. <clears throat> to make the world that she's imagining. Um, subsequent critics writing about Jane Austen ha have been have a, there. Are, there are many good books, many thing, many good things to read. But I think that the the fresh the freshness and eloquence of this earlier uh, volume 
is just is uh, hard to beat and um, and that it's a good way in for appreciators of of Austin who want to think a little bit more carefully about her literary uh, quality. So uh, I just mentioned maybe two more things. <clears throat> One of the things that LaSalle's does well is she she just goes to some of Jane Austen's favorite writers, such as Samuel Johnson, uh, so-called Dr. Johnson from the 18th century, who was her favorite prose nonfiction writer and favorite moralist. And she goes goes to Johnson and then and uh, and and brings out some of some of some relevant texts, and then goes back and forth between him and Austin and talks about how we see this getting uh, getting ingested, so to speak, and expressed um, in an Austin novel, and very, very uh, insightfully, I think, and believably. Um, so she really opens up some of, of Austin's imagination that way. Thank you for listening. To read or listen to the rest of this interview and gain full access to our archive, visit fivebooksforcatholics.com and become a premium subscriber. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and give it a top rating on the platform of your choice. That way more people can discover it. You can also support the podcast and help us produce more interviews like this one by making a one-off donation via the link given in the show notes. As little as one dollar, one pound or one Europe can help and will be greatly appreciated. Thank you once again and God bless.